to join us for this Bible study. Uh, I know Bible study, you throw that term around and it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. We are not going to be getting together weekly to just memorize facts, dates, names, and figures. Uh, we are not trying to just uh, quote the different scriptures or, or, or memorize the 66 books of the Bible in order. Um, we're not offering you a test at the end of this. It's a curriculum like school. Uh, this is going to be an amazing journey through the Word of God, the best-selling book of all time. It's going to come to life. We're going to look at, through, through our next several weeks together, we're going to look at why in the world do I care about where I am in, in the Word of God? I mean, what, how does the Word of God pertain to my life right here where I am living in this day and in this age? And so maybe someone shared this link with you and asked you to go on this journey with them. Uh, if that happened, no doubt that person loves the Word of God and they believe that the Word of God is alive and they want to share it with you. Uh, it doesn't matter if you say, oh, man, I don't know nothing about the Bible, or you say, you know what, I, I actually have been raised with the Word of God, but I want to go a little bit deeper. No matter what your level of understanding of the Word of God is, you are going to enjoy this journey that we're getting ready to take. And so I'm confident that if you will join us for the next several weeks, you will learn not only amazing just information, but how it applies to your life right where you are today. And so tonight, uh, the very first lesson that we're going to be looking at is how did we get the Bible and can we trust it? How did we get this book right here and can we trust this book? And so from here each Wednesday, I'm going to be going live from our church, Refuge Church, our Facebook page and our YouTube channel. And so make sure that you follow, this is not just, I'm not trying to do an advertisement here, but I just don't want you to miss upcoming content. So follow Refuge Church, uh, either Facebook Live or YouTube. All you have to do is just type in Refuge Church Liberty, Missouri, or Refuge Church Online, uh, and you should find our pages and follow that, because you can feel free to join live each Wednesday at 7, or you can um, feel free to just uh, watch archived lessons. A couple of guidelines, just because I know you might say, well, what is this Bible study? What's this, what is this going to look like? Well, this is a study of the Bible. This is not a study of a particular denomination. We are not looking at, uh, well, let's look at Catholic, uh, Lutheran, Protestant. Let's look at uh, Pentecostal. And, and No, what does the word of God say? What is thus saith the Lord? God's word. How do we know? That's what, what I want to know. And Nobody's trying to prove anyone right or wrong. I'm not out to try and, oh, I'm going to show you an argument that I'm right and you're wrong. That's not what I'm aiming to do. Now, lesson length is going to vary. But just for your planning purposes, I'll tell you that we're probably never going to be shorter than 25 minutes and never longer than 45 minutes is my, is my goal because I'm a firm believer that the mind can only endure what the seat can handle. So... The first lesson, this one might be one of the, the longer ones, because I want to take some time to establish the Word of God. As a matter of fact, we may even split this into two sessions here, because what is a Bible study if we say, 
This is the word of God. The Bible says this. The Bible says that. Let's look at baptism. Let's look at salvation. Let's look at creation. Let's, if, we, if we don't even trust the Bible. I mean, if you say, well, I don't care what that says. So we're going to take our time into the first thing is how do we know that we can trust this book? And so um, if you do have questions along the way, please feel free to email the church at info at refugechurchonline.com. And I will always do my best to get back to you in a very timely manner. And I will answer whatever questions that you have to the best of my ability. But one of the most important guidelines we're going to have is that it's so important that as we open the word of God, we want to open our hearts and minds also. It, uh, it reminds me of a, of a story. Two little girls were working with their mommy in the kitchen. It's holiday time, and, and mom just starts cutting off the ends of the ham. And the little girls are like, mom, I want to help, I want to help. And you know how that is when little kids want to help you in the kitchen? Yeah, sometimes it's a help, sometimes it's interesting. But they say, I want to help, I want to help. And so she's like, all right. And, and they look, and they're watching mom slice the ham. And she says, and the little girl says, well, why, why are we cutting off the ends of the ham? Why do you do that? And, and the mom looks at her girls, and she says, I, you know, I, I've always done it that way. I've always cut off the ends of the ham. Go ask your grandma, because she taught me this. And so grandma, she's, in, she's just on the other side of the kitchen. She's whipping up mashed potatoes, not the fake ones, the real ones, good stuff. She's whipping up mashed potatoes. And uh, the little girl's, Granny, Granny, why, what, what's the deal? Why, are, why did you teach Mom to cut off the ends of the ham? She looks at the girl and says, you know, sweeties, I, I, you know, I, 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 my, my mom showed me how to do it that way. And so I honestly don't know. I just always did it because my mom did it that way. So great, Grandma, she's in the living room. She's, you know, she gets time off now. She's put in her time. So she's resting, waiting for the meal, that holiday meal. And the girl's running, great, Grandma, why do we cut off the ends of the ham? I asked Mom. She didn't know. I asked Grandma. She didn't know. They said I should ask you. Great-grandma said, oh, honey, many, many, many years ago, we all got together for a holiday meal, and I pulled out the pan for the ham, and we had such a big ham that year that it was too big for the pan, so I had to cut off the ends to make it fit in that pan. Why do I tell that story? Because sometimes religion is the same way. Well, bless God, I'm Pentecostal. Bless God, I'm Baptist. I'm Lutheran. I'm Catholic. I'm, uh, I, well, I don't know why I'm this. I don't know why I put this label on my life. I, it's just my great-great-grandma, she did it. My great-grandpa did it. And my mom and dad, they taught me. And, and so now I just do it because I didn't. And, and I'm not knocking tradition. But when our tradition conflicts with the word of God, one scripture says, let God be true in every man a liar. So it doesn't matter. Even though I'm a preacher and I'm one that loves the word, I didn't die on the cross for you, so we want to look and say, what does the Bible say? I don't want to look just at specific denominations, say, like, you know, like the politics jokes, don't bother me with the facts, I'm, I'm, I'm already, I'm, I'm set like that. Or like the, the, the joke about, I'm like a cement all mixed up and well set. Well, so we want to say, you know what, I want to be, I want to be open, I want my heart, my mind to be open as I begin to look at the word of God. Let, let the word interpret itself. So tonight, each lesson, I like to open up by just taking a moment to pray because we want God to lead everything that we look at, and, so, and I want you to pray this prayer with me. So let's pray. Jesus, God, we are so thankful. I'm thankful for every single person who's, who's viewing this. No doubt some are viewing it live, and some are going to be viewing it maybe, maybe even years down the road. God, I pray that your word, it never dies, so let it continue to impact 
the hearts and the minds and the lives of every person who is tuning into this and help me to be anointed. Your word doesn't need any help being anointed. It already is. But help me, Lord God, to capably and with anointing communicate your word in Jesus' name. So can we trust the Bible? We better start there because this is a Bible study. And so we have to start by going, can I even trust? Can I trust this? Now, back in the day, maybe it worked when you, you know, your, your dad would say, oh, it's because I said so, or your mama, because I said so, the principal, because I said so, the police officer, because I said so. And, and, and so there was positional authority. Well, what about today? That doesn't stand as much. I, I wish it did. I'm not saying that we should go against parents or police officers or principals. But what I'm saying is sometimes just because I hold a position, people don't, they don't just take that authoritative anymore. And so just because I said, well, that's the Bible, God said so. Well, let's take a look at this. Can we trust the Bible? And so we want to emphasize this. Many people say it's been changed, doctored, contradictions. It was written by just average men. And so one of those people that said that was a man named Simon Greenleaf, uh, who was born in 1783. Now, Simon Greenleaf was an agnostic. Simply, agnostic is, hey, I, I'm not saying there is a God. I'm not saying there isn't. I'm just saying there's not. I haven't seen the evidence personally. Some people would say he was an atheist, that there is no creator. And so he believed that the, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a myth. Now, no stranger to truth and to the, and to the proof of truth, Greenleaf was a principal founder of Harvard Law School. So that's pretty solid. He was a world-renowned expert on evidence. Now, challenged by one of his students, they said, hey, I want you to consider the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and I want to see if you can disprove the resurrection. So Simon Greenleaf set out, and he said, I'm going to see what I can do. And he ended up, after all his research, all he, as an expert on evidence, he looked into all the historical documents and in in all of the books and all of the things that he could look into, and he ended up concluding that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was not fiction, that it indeed was fact. Being a man of conviction and reason, and in accordance with his conclusions, Simon Greenleaf converted atheist, agnostic, one of the two, whatever he was, different, different opinions on that. He converted to Christianity, and he wrote a book that you see on your screen entitled The Testimony of the Evangelist, and that details his experience. Now, many great minds have tried to disprove the Bible through the years, but it doesn't work. It does not work. No doubt someone is going to be watching this, and you think that you are the person who has disproved the Bible, and you have it, and I'm just a foolish man filled with faith and something I can't see, and you are entitled to your opinion. But believing the Bible is a lot more than just faith. There is actually proof for God's word. But, but, but can we actually trust th this book in in our modern languages as the real deal. God so loved the world, he went out of his way to not only give us his word, but he also, the beautiful thing is he preserved his word. He gave his word, but then he preserved his word. And here's some of the reasons why he did that. I'm gonna, you're going to see scriptures on your screen. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, says all scripture, not some, majority, most, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, 
for instruction in righteousness that the man of God, now King James English, this is 1611, there was not gender inclusive language, but there you could really say that the person of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. But then look at Psalm 119.105. The Bible says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So God gave us his word so it could be a light, so it could guide our path, so it could correct us, rebuke us, encourage us. There's so many reasons why he gave his word and he preserved his word. And many people have tried to destroy the word of God and, and have even taken it out of the hands of society and modern and average people like yourself and myself. Yet there were heroes heroes who went ahead and they would take the Bible and they would translate it into the known language and they would and they would disperse it to the people of that day and some of them were beheaded, filleted, uh, burned alive, burned at the stake, all trying to get the word out into the modern languages of the people through the centuries. I am thankful to God that there were men and women who believed in God's word that much who paid that kind of price. Now, Let's look at the history of how we got the Bible. Because here, you know, many of us have multiple copies. Maybe you don't. But there are, you have access to all kinds of translations and variations of Scripture online. So, the 39 books, there's 66 books total in the Bible. 39 are known as the Old Testament. 27 are known as the New Testament. Now, 39 were written over a period of 1,400 years, and they had 32 writers. Notice I didn't say author. God's the author. But 32 writers. The scope of its writing covered approximately 3,600 years. So 39 books written over 1,400 years that actually covered 3,600 years of history. Yet, there is not a contradiction that changes the meaning of Scripture. Think about it. If you and your friends were out right now and you saw a car accident, oh no, my goodness, four friends and you and you and four of your friends, how many stories would you get? The officers would come. What did you see? Five stories, maybe 10, depending it. Well, actually, no, hang on a second. No, I think, I, no, I, let me change that. We were, the, the story changes even based on something we saw just moments ago with scripture. That's not the case. It's here it is, this wide span, and, and it's the same story. It, 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 people didn't change their story. It's incredible. And then you look at the New Testament. 27 New Testament books had approximately, uh, had, had nine writers that covered a time period of just 100 years. Old Testament's 3,600 years. New Testament's 100 years. And the two dominant writers in Scripture, Moses wrote the majority of Old Testament. Paul, the apostle, wrote the majority of the New Testament. So the Bible was penned by more than 40 men Rich, poor, all walks of life, over the course of thousands and thousands of years, yet they all told the same story. That in, a, in itself is absolutely amazing. Our Bible was 1,600 years in preparation. The earliest book was by a man named Job, or, or the, the earliest book, I'm sorry, was Job. And it was believed to have been written around 1,500 B.C., while John... He ended up completing his writing at the end of the first century A.D. Now, just a, a, a note about that, because I don't want to assume that anybody knows these things. So please uh, forgive me if I, it seems like I'm insulting your intelligence, but I don't want to move past moments like this. B.C. is before Christ. B.C.E. is before Common Era. A.D. is Anno Domini, which is a Latin phrase that means in the year of our Lord. So if you believe the earth is, let's just say, 6,000 years old, I'm 
believe whatever you want on that. I'm not, I'm not there yet. Let's say it's 6,000, 7,000, doesn't matter. That as you were BC, you were counting downwards till you got to zero, and then it shifted to AD in the year of our Lord, and it began to count up to where you are today in modern day. And so history books, though, they've been rewritten. Even the Constitution, things have been amended. But the Bible's facts, names, accounts, figures, they have withstood the test of time. One person said it this way, the Bible is the anvil that has worn out many hammers. So when we look at the Bible, we will see that God gives the same commands, many of the same commands in the beginning, the middle, and the end. Look, at, look, look toward the beginning. In the book of Deuteronomy 4.2, the Bible says, Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, for you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. He says, don't add it, don't take away, leave it alone. I, I took care of it. Go to the middle of the Bible, Proverbs 30 and 6. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Don't add, leave it alone, my words are fine. He did not come to me and say, Gary, I'm thinking about adding this uh, to the word. What do you think about it? He didn't need to do that. He doesn't need our help. So we don't add, we don't take away. Then you look at the end of the Bible, Revelation, the book of Revelation, 22, 18, and 19. This is right at the end. This is so crucial because this is where the Bible wraps up. This is where the book, the whole entire Bible comes to a close. And if you were writing a letter and you knew you were going to pass on and you wanted your children to know something, you, would, you wouldn't just be talking about sports or something. You'd be saying, hey, remember to do this. Always remember that I loved you. Don't ever forget. We would be talking about such crucial things in that letter. So here the whole Bible comes to an end, and how does it come to a close? God says, for I testify unto every man that heareth the words of this prophecy of this book, if any man, again, gender inclusive, that wasn't that way in, 16, in 1600s, you could say, if any person, if any person heard these things, if any person shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. Guess what? When you study the Bible, there are a massive amount of plagues. He says, if any man shall take away from the words of this book of prophecy, God shall take away his part out of, life, out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. What a, what a way to end the Bible. He literally says, hey, you're at the end now. If you add to the things that are in this book, I'm going to add plagues to your life. If you take away, I'm going to take your part out of the holy city. I'm pretty confident that God was there to say, here's my word, I preserved my word, don't mess with my word. So when people today, if a denomination says, you know what, hey, it doesn't really matter, I know God's word says this, but we say it like this, or, or our, our church government says this, or the council say this, or through history, we voted to make changes here. Listen, if anything goes against the Bible, I'm part of a religious organization, but if my organization ever said, you know what, we've lifted this, we had a vote on our general board, and we've made some changes, I'm out of there, because there's no organization that died on the cross and paid for my sins. I am going with the word of God. I'm not going to add to it. I'm not going to take away from it. And so as a, in, in this study, if you continue to tune in, listen, I'm telling you, you can trust that what I'm giving you is going to be solid. It's not because I'm wise and I'm intelligent. I, I certainly hope you think so. But that's not the case. It is because I am sticking to the pages of this book, the Word of God. So, 
Moses, he's credited with writing the, the Pentateuch. That's Pentus 5. It's just the first five books of the Old Testament. So you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The Old Testament was written primarily in the Hebrew language with a small part written in Aramaic, a sister language to Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. Why? Why? Why did that happen? Why the change in language? Why did we go from Hebrew to Greek? Why, why did that happen? Well, let's take a look. Let's look brief history lesson. Some of you, I know you love history. You're going to find this amazing. Others of you, you're going to be like, oh, Lord, get me to the next part. Just sit still. It's, a, it's just a quick look. Alexander the Great, if you've heard of Alexander the Great, lived from 356 to 323. Notice, going down in B.C. He died at the young age, either 32 or 33 years old. He conquered Middle Eastern lands, lands of the Bible. Sometimes people don't realize that, that Alexander the Great actually lived during Bible times. It's like we, we hear about him in school, and like sometimes we don't make the connection that he lived, he lived during the Bible. He was before the time of Christ, but he was after people like Noah, Abraham, and David. And some argue that Daniel actually even writes about Alexander the Great, no, but he never does call him by name. We don't know for that for a fact. That's just an interesting nugget. During his life, Alexander the Great became one of the, the greatest military commanders of all time. He conquered the vast Persian Empire, swallowed up cities of the early empires, he, he, the Egyptian, Assyrian, Babylonian, all those great, great nations and kingdoms that had swallowed up other nations. He took over all of them. And so he ruled from Greece to India, but then he just suddenly died in Babylon. He had no heir, and so his kingdom was divided among his four generals. And these are the Hellenistic kingdoms that were split between them. When I use the term Hellenize or Hellenistic, uh, that just means to adopt Greek ways and culture because that was Alexander the Great. To essentially Hellenize Hel or, or um, to, uh, to Hellenistic kingdom is to essentially make Greek in character. And so when, when they would take over land, they would make that area essentially Greek. And so through his conquest, Alexander the Great, he spread the Greek language and the Greek culture. While he conquered Asia, he endeavored also to Hellenize Asia. So he founded Greek cities and Hellenistic thought throughout that area. It was through the conquests of Alexander the Great that Greek became the language of literature and commerce from the shores of the Mediterranean to the banks of the Tigris. It's impossible to, 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 to estimate the effect of this spread of Greek on the promulgation of the gospel. One result of this was the translation of the Old Testament into Greek because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. But Greek was spreading, so now there were people that didn't speak Hebrew, but yet they wanted to know Old Testament scriptures. So now we have a translation. It's called the Septuagint. That is just the Greek translation of Old Testament in Hebrew. And, and the word Septuagint comes from the Latin word meaning 70. Tradition says that this refers to 70 Jewish scholars who actually translated the Old Testament from Hebrew to Koine Greek, but we're not certain on that fact. We can't prove that, but that's an interesting piece of information. So Jesus now, Jesus is born under Roman rule, but the common language of the empire for education was Greek. So Thus, even though the first century uh, Christians were from Jerusalem, they spoke Hebrew, they spoke he Aramaic in conversation as their mother tongue, but the good news about Jesus spread in Greek because 
this was the dominant language of that day. All of the New Testament books, all 27 New Testament books were originally written in Greek. Jesus had commanded his followers to take the message and the experience that they had in the upper room in the book of Acts to every known nation, every tongue. Well, persecution began in Jerusalem and forced the, the spread of the believers across that area. So then what happens? In 70 AD, just after the time, 30, 40 years after the time of Christ, Jerusalem, as, as they knew it, was completely destroyed, burned to the ground. It's highly probable that in that destruction, when the fire was set to the city and it burned to the ground, I actually had the privilege of going to, to Israel and into Jerusalem, and there are the massive boulders that, that Herod had put there in the building of the city. Some of the original boulders are still at the base levels of the city walls. It's pretty incredible, but, but it is probable that the original manuscripts of Scripture could have been destroyed in that fire in the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. Knowledge of the original languages was gradually lost. The breakup of the Roman Empire resulted in new nations uh, and, and the development of new national languages. And so as new national languages developed, a desire for, for literature in those languages also developed. So you say, okay, well, new, new, new nation, you know, you might have, oh, yeah, German, Swedish, Irish, Dutch, you know, all these, all these nations. Of course, not that early on all of them, but I'm just using that as an example. Well, then they have languages, and so now they want the Bible in their language. Hebrew isn't good enough, just Koine Greek isn't good enough, so now I want to I I see that in my language. Here's the problem, though. Latin was the dominant language of the Roman Catholic Church and the schools and then for the university. So the issue is you're reading and teaching the Bible in Latin, but the average person didn't speak Latin. Well, that's, that's a problem. So now you're limited to whatever the man of God would say that the Bible says. I read Latin. I read it in Latin. Here's what it says. And I'm going to give you the instruction. When nobody could read it for themselves because there was a belief, oh, the common man can't understand principles of God's word, which is not God's will, but that's what happened. And so only a few portions of the Bible had been translated from Latin into Old English. And because of that, a certain amount, unfortunately, a certain amount of corruption and tradition reared its ugly head. Struggles were now taking place between the rulers of the papacy or the, the authority of the Pope and the Roman Catholic Church of that day and the average person. And so different men began to stand up against the Roman Catholic Church of that day. But they were not necessarily trying to change the religion. They were trying to reform it. So they weren't looking like, I don't want to change it. We just have to reform some things. And that is what launched us into a period of time called the Reformation. People like Martin Luther and Wycliffe and, and, and even Tyndale. Did. So, but but this, this was a time around the 16th century. So people began to form new religions that branched off of other religions. And then when they had a desire for the scripture, they would, scribes, would copy translations of the Bible into the known languages of those people and cities and, and countries. Copies of the translations were made by hand, and they were highly valued. Imagine, can I pause here right now? Just imagine. Look at the size of this book. Imagine, who copied these biblical translations? Well, 
they were done in scriptoriums, places of scriptoriums, where you're not talking about AC, you're talking about Middle Eastern desert, that, that one person would read aloud information, and then this, the scribes would sit here, and you would write in a different language, you would, you would begin to transcribe, translate the Bible into that known languages. The writing was done in the scribal institution or the scriptorium. Even though this method allowed less error, the work was still extremely tedious. Imagine me reading you this and you just copying this and, that, and that's what you have to do. Well, guess what? Even though that's, that, that's not really, it's less error, there's still going to be a mistake in the, in the translation, in the writing process. So if a certain number of copies were needed, the task would require as many writers as the copies that were ordered. The way they did this at the scriptorium is they would read and everybody would, would, would copy. But one example uh, of a mistake of what could happen is uh, we found one copy of the Bible. This is a, it, there's actually historical evidence of this. Where John 5.39 in the Bible says, they bear witness concerning me. Okay, that's what scripture says. They bear witness concerning me. The copy of the Bible that we have says they are sinning concerning me. Okay, obviously that's not the meaning. That's not what it meant. But it's an absurd translation of that time. But it was human error during the transcription process, writing it down. They wrote something wrong as they transcribed what was being read. Now, there are manuscripts where scribes misspelled unfamiliar uh, proper names when copying them. I mean, think about the various ways you can spell one name. Well, if you're listening to this, you might have spelled it in one location in a different scribe. They wrote it in a different way in a different location. So naysayers would say, see, there's contradictions in the Bible. But really, I mean, if your name is John and you spell it J-H-O-N or you spell it J-O-H-N, does that mean we throw the whole Bible away because... The same John is spelled in two different ways in two locations. Like, that, that seems crazy to me. And so um, there are manuscripts where they misspelled things. For example, I, I, I'm not going to just lead you blindly into this discussion. I want you to see these things for yourself. Look at these two verses. 2 Kings 8.26. It says, 2 and 20 years old was Ahaziah, and when he began to reign, he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, the daughter of Amri, the king of Israel. Okay, interesting. Now go to 2 Chronicles 22, 2. 42 years old was Ahaziah when he began to reign. He reigned in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, the daughter of Amri. We know this is the same person. He's got the same name, the same mother's name, the same city, and the daughter of the same. I'm like, it's, it's all the same. But notice there's one difference. One passage says he was 22 years old. The other says he was 42 years old. Oh, throw the whole Bible away. I'm not, look at the contradictions in the Bible. This is not a contradiction. It's, it's, it's literally a discrepancy between two verses, a small error that would have been made most likely during a transcription process by a scribe. Do you know that the difference between the numbers 22 and 42 in Roman-style numeral writing of that day was literally a little horizontal hook. One little hook. Changed that number from 22 to 42. So no doubt if somebody wrote, if you had penmanship like me, oh, Lord, help us all, there would have been a lot of errors. But it's not even an error. It's literally just a transcription process that, it, oh, okay, 22 to 42. Imagine having to rewrite the Bible by hand. You would have also missed crossing, an I, crossing a T and dot and an I also. 
the point is this. You will find this in other cases, the discrepancies in copying. But the Lord nevertheless ensured that there were enough translations and copies of his word that an occasional Bible with a scribal error could be corrected. But does this somehow show we can't trust the Bible? Naysayers will say, absolutely, don't trust the Bible. It's not, look at those contradictions. If you're going to throw out a book because somebody accidentally put 42 for a guy when he started to reign and 22 because of one hook, that's your choice. I, I, I just, I just, that's not, that's not going to make me ditch the Bible altogether because of that. And so these men loved that book probably more than a lot of modern people in our day. They loved it. They saw its importance so much, in fact, that they were willing to die. Do some study and research on that. How many people worked to translate the Bible, who gave their life to get this book into modern languages to where people could read it and see it and understand it, not just have someone stand in a public setting, read some foreign language that they don't understand, and then give them their interpretation of what it means. That's not God's will for your life. God wants you to be able to pick up this book, to read it, to understand it. And you might say, yeah, it's so hard to understand. And that's part of the reason we're going to continue to do this Bible study. We're going to look at that. We're going to continue looking at this. Most lessons won't be broken into two parts like this. But we're going to wrap up tonight because I want you to know, if we're going to look at a Bible study, it is so crucial that you understand that the Bible is God's word. You can trust it. There aren't contradictions. It's the inerrant, infallible word of God. And he wants it. He has fought to give it to us, to preserve it for us, to translate it into your language. And he wants you to have it and love it and follow it and be a lamp under your feet and provide the rebuke, correction, encouragement that you need. And so tonight as we wrap up this lesson, I invite you to not only pray with me, but also I invite you as, you, as, you, as we get off here, I, I want you to, to, again, to follow Refuge Church on Facebook and to also um, follow or follow the YouTube channel so you can get alerts because I, I certainly hope that you will continue to tune in to information that I promise you it could improve your life quite a bit. No matter what your level, biblical knowledge level is, we're going to build on that. And, uh, and you're going to learn a lot of things that apply to right where you are in modern day. So let's close in prayer. Jesus, I just want to say thank you so much for your word. God, I am so grateful that you gave your word, that you had someone pen your word, that it was preserved through the ages, that no human being could ever destroy it, that so many people have tried to point out the errors and contradictions yet to no avail. God, I am so thankful that your word still guides our life, it's alive. It's not just a book. That, Lord Jesus, that as we continue to look at this, I pray for every man, woman, and child who might be tuning into this, either live or later, archive version. God, that you'd speak to their heart, Lord, and let them know that this is a journey that you want us all to take because your word is going to come to life in ways that we could have never imagined as we look into it. Again, thank you so much for your word, God. In Jesus' name.